Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. Talk to me. Talk to me, baby. Talk to me, baby. Yeah, I can hear you. You just... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know, Aaron, if you've ever heard this podcast, but yeah. Yeah. You have? Okay. We had to to have a talk with ourselves today because, you know, we don't have... Um, people of the male gender on on our podcast very often. So I used to have this talk with my son. I would say, honey, when you're in polite company, there are certain things you don't say in front of the opposite sex. So I had that talk with us today. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I'm a nurse. I work with women. So you know. You yeah. know we're we're dirty. Do you know disgusting. anybody as filthy as we are though? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> so maybe you should introduce our guest. I'm sorry. Not that are willing to put it on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're special that way. Yeah. I yeah. just when I'm recording, I'm like, nobody I know is gonna listen to this. It's fine. What Aaron, why don't you tell us your name and where you're from and some of your details about your life so that our listeners will know. <laughs> well, my name is Aaron Wright. Um, where I'm from, I'm from California, and I know that's pretty descriptive, but I grew up in pretty much the middle of our state, like the geographic center uh, near, I don't know if anybody knows where Fresno, California is. Yeah, but, we know Fresno. Yeah. So I grew up a little bit north of there, kind of near uh, Yosemite. I went to school three hours north of that uh, as an undergrad near Sacramento at UC Davis, which is where I ultimately met my wife. And for the last three years, I've lived in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area in Oakland. And how's that? How you, how are you enjoying living there? Um, I, I really, I love it. This is actually where my wife's family is from. And I came here for grad school. And so Oakland was kind of a second home for me for about four or five years going through grad school before we left and went back to kind of a disjointed story. But uh, we met, my wife and I met as undergrads at college in Davis. And then after after that, we both kind of were trying to find careers in, in grad school. And so we both came back to the Bay Area, stayed here, like I said, for about four years. And then I was able to find what I thought would kind of be my end-all be-all job back in, in the Davis, Sacramento area which is where I'm actually still working. So I, which is oddly how I found you guys because I spend, you know, nearly three and a half hours a day in my car. Whew, uh, that's so, a lot of time. Wow. Yeah, no, it's it's not super fun, but there's lots of good podcasts to listen to. So. Like us. We make the time go by just like that. I'm sure. Yeah, he's going, who are these people? <laughs> oh, what dirty brains they have. <laughs> No, I'm never really, going to Oklahoma. Yeah, I, bounce, well, I bounce around between a lot of things. So I don't, I really don't get to read a whole lot anymore. So I do a lot of audiobooks. But then I go through phases where I'm, I, you know, I'm craving books and I'll, you know, I'll binge books for a while. And then I'm like, okay, I've had enough. And so I'll, you know, listen to music or sometimes just listen to whatever, you know, on, on the radio. But I will, I'll binge podcasts and, you know, I'll, I will listen to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, you're funny. It's not, 
<laughs> Don't let yourself down. It's hilarious. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. It's just that yeah, you know, my sister, who also lives in California, she recently became single. And she just really never got into podcasts or anything like that. And, and one day she sent me a text and she said, so are you still doing that little, you know, podcasting thing? And I said, yeah. And she goes, okay, give me the information. I want to go listen to it. And I said, okay, are you sure? She goes, yeah. I said, okay. She goes, you're sounding weird. What's up? And I said, okay, um, you're probably going to be disgusted, but try to keep an open mind and get, just get past the first part. So she, <laughs> so she sends me a text back and she goes, where did you get that filthy mouth? Because <laughs> she's extremely religious and she doesn't approve of anything I talk about. So she's, she was totally put off and I was like, oh, well. Okay. Did you just blame it on me? It's Bonnie. It's all Bonnie's fault. She comes in here and just distorts all of our minds. No, I told her. I said, you it's know. because I'm from New York. People from New York no, have dirty minds. I take complete Bonnie. and total responsibility for my actions. Being in broadcast radio for all of those years and having to hold back every single thing I've ever wanted to say just really took a toll. So. We know you're a nurse, but what did your grad school end up being? What did you focus on? Uh, Well, nursing. So my undergraduate degree was in biology. And I finished that and really had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a degree that really lends itself to finding a job immediately. It's typically a degree that lends itself to either going back to school or working, you know, for somebody in a lab somewhere as like an intern. So I, I really didn't have much in the way of, I guess, practical experience in terms of where I wanted to ultimately land in life. Mm-hmm. When uh, when we finished school and, and we moved back here, because my wife actually had the, the, the job opportunities and had a clear sense of what she wanted to do for grad school. We moved back to the Bay Area. I connected with a few kind of family friends and ended up working as a clerk, essentially, in an emergency department in a hospital down here. Um, and that kind of cued me into thinking that healthcare would be, you know, a career that I would want to pursue. And I ended up having to go back to school a little bit to finish some of the GE credits that, you know, didn't necessarily transfer from my degree to what I wanted to do in nursing school. So my master's degree is in nursing. I see. And then I, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it so much. I actually kept going to school. <laughs> so, <laughs> which <laughs> silly. But yeah, so I worked as a I worked for a while as as a bedside nurse. Uh, got my degree and then continued through school and became an advanced practice nurse. And for the last oh geez, since '04, I've been a nurse practitioner. Uh, but the last few years of my career really haven't been clinical. It's been mostly hospital administration. Hmm. Yeah, I have a sister-in-law who is a hospital administrator. She ended up, you know, retiring, but then got a call right after COVID hit to participate as a consultant for the state of North Dakota as part of their COVID response and whatnot. So that was, that was pretty cool, but it's a different career path and it's a different, yeah, it's, um, it's much different than clinical care, which, you know, in all honesty, I really miss. And when, um, when COVID hit, I had, I worked with a really great group of nurse practitioners. I worked in trauma and acute care surgery. 
and there were we had about 16 17 of us and when that hit i had been out of clinical care for a while and had been doing administrative work and i really felt guilty for not being you know at the bedside or doing clinical care um hospital administration there you have you know good access to changing things and improving patient care on a, on a global scale. It's just really hard because you're not seeing it on that individual patient, patient level. Yeah. So you have a three hour commute back and forth to work every day. I do. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure that you are all too familiar with construction. I don't know how the roads (laughs) in California are, but let me tell you, I, yeah, I went to work this morning and, um, because we're like way behind at work and I'm driving to work in about two miles before the interstate kind of um, veers off to two mm-hmm. different ones. There's signs that say left three lanes closed. All traffic must exit. And I'm like, that doesn't you? happen on that particular highway because it's a, it's I-44, you know, it's a, a through highway. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. it's a big highway. It's a four-lane highway. And I'm like, are you kidding Three out of right four now? lanes are going to be closed? Yeah, I'm just driving along, listening to my book, you know, and I'm like, you know, and I only glanced at the sign because I'm like, oh, look, a sign. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, so then I'm trying to get off the interstate and get off on one of the side streets and my gps keeps trying to get me to go back on the interstate so i'm you know arguing to my gps in the car i'm like i don't want to go left i want to go right just tell me how to get there from here it's very frustrating we were just well, i gotta oh well, i gotta ask you then so for us one of the silver linings to covid for me so the way i get to work you from the bay area to sacramento is on um highway 80 which you could take from all the way from San Francisco. If you got on it, you could take it all the way to Maine. Wow. Right? It, it, you know, major already across the country and it's huge. It's a, you know, major thoroughfare. But I, so for me, sometimes getting to work would be problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Car accidents, whatever, the weather, things would get snarled, construction often. But one of the silver linings was, you know, when, when things were shut down, it was, I was flying. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I felt like, it felt like the Audubon. Like I had, <laughs> I had the entire road to myself. And then about two weeks after kind of the shutdown happened, the CHP, the highway patrol here kind of caught on that. People we were flying. Slow, yeah. We got to slow these people down. <laughs> and, then, and then they came out in force, but it's, um, so I'm just curious. So for me, like my commute actually got a little bit better. You know, it, it knocked probably five, 10 minutes off, off either direction, yeah. which was, well, see what happened for me because I know Martha is one of the ones who'd been wor- has been working at home since COVID hit. Yep. I actually had just switched jobs, and a week after I switched jobs is when they shut the city down. Oh. But since I work for a bank, it's considered essential, so I still went to work every day. But then when they opened everything up and traffic actually hit, that was supposed to be going every day on my commute back and forth i was like what the hell happened there used to be nobody on the road and now it's taking me she had no frame of reference for what life was really going to be like for quite some time then all of a sudden it's like everybody's back on the road and i'm like oh my god go home right yeah that's what a lot of my we need to shut this city down again (laughs) 
when they finally open things back up, it, well, not that it's been fully opened up, but a lot of my friends are like, okay, welcome back to the highways. This is how fast we drive now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Remember that 70? That's just a pipe dream now. Let's go 40. <laughs> Or people who are used to going 70 are like, then they're like, you know, sideswiping you off the highway so that they can get over because, you know, it's like uh, what Mad Max, the what's the the name of the Mad Max one with all the car with all the vehicles. Oh, yeah. No, I've often Fury Road. Fury Road. I need I need to mount like steel you know, plates to the front of my car. So you just knock them all out of the way. Yeah, just, you got to have some patchy leather armor and, you know, a, you know how a, they have a those spiky mohawk and those icebreaker boats that, you know, oh, yeah, that break through the ice nice. in like Alaska and stuff. I need that for Things the front of my car. So the I can highway. Just yeah. Get everybody out Ooh. of the way. <laughs> that look really good on my beat up Toyota. <laughs> Somehow, somehow I can kind of see that. I will just sort of blend in with the hail damage real nicely. I can put it right there where my uh, radiator grill fell off. (laughs) Vonnie looks because that's in the trunk of the car now. I'm telling you that car. It still runs though. I don't want to get rid of it. It still runs, but it, it it like as as my husband would say, it looks like it's been road hard and put away wet. Yeah, I know the feeling. Pretty gnarly. It's kind of beat up, but I mean, I don't know. It's paid for. I don't want another car payment. Pretty soon, she's gonna break down one day, and she'll call me up. She'll go. So I did a thing. <laughs> did this thing? That'd be amazing. I got a new car, and I'd be like, "What? Bought a car?" <sighs> My husband and I literally drove two blocks up the road to drop our one car off for new tires and we both looked at each other when we got in the car we're like when was the last time we drove anywhere because <laughs> he's a, he's always at home mm-hmm. working and i quit my job and we've been in quarantine for the last 14 days i think tomorrow's it so but yeah i haven't driven in oh my gosh like six weeks i was like i hope this is like a bicycle <laughs> <laughs> Hope I remember how to do this. Where are my windshield wipers? <laughs> I'm telling you, my car, I, I maybe leave my house once a week. And so I go out to start my car, and it's, you know, it's one of the push button ones. So this morning I went out to push it and it went. Please, please, please. Hey, I'm sleeping here. You pour a little coffee in the engine. It's okay. I know. It's like. I'm so used to not going anywhere. Stop touching me. (laughs) Stop. I'm not in the mood. I have a headache. (laughs) Unfortunately, when that happens to me, it's just my dog in the bed laying on my pillow. Shall we switch over? Shall we talk about books? Sure. We can talk about books. All right. Since I kind of made a segue with my dog. Every Good time we job, talk buddy. about the dog, you know, First I'm a cat. I wasn't sure where you were going. I'm a cat person. <laughs> she's a dog person. So every time the dog comes up, the conversation just goes. And Martha's yeah. like, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like <laughs> Megan when we talk about blowjobs. I start talking yeah, about exactly. dogs oh. and you're like, let's talk about books. <laughs> Forget the dogs. <laughs> 
back my book. But you like Echo. Echo I do like, like I do like Echo. It was funny. I was thinking to myself, and I do this all the time. I forget she's deaf. So she, she gets real anxious. She wants to come in the house, and she can't come in the house here. Um, and I was thinking as we were walking in here, because we, we don't like to let her know we're in this room further back because she gets real excited and makes noise at the window. So I was thinking, maybe if I turn on the TV in the living room, she'll think we're in there. You know, (laughs) this, this is my internal monologue as as we're walking in here. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the face palm moment. Like you dumbass, the dog is deaf. She can't hear you anyway. She could go across the street is deaf. And I've had to learn sign because the dog knows sign it knows way more than i do for the longest time i was always like oh bruce you're so cute and i was like yeah he can't hear me yeah so now i'm just like signing to the dog which is the worst part is when the dog awesome but so strange when echo is doing something that she knows she's not supposed to she won't look at me so i can't reprimand her she'll like run across like especially like we're at the dog park like this morning or no actually friday morning we're at the dog park and, and somebody had like those running lights underneath that change colors and anything that's out of place echo will bark at she doesn't like when anything is different whatsoever and there's lights coming out of this truck and she's like what the hell so she's barking at this truck and i kept trying to you know get her attention and tell her you know be quiet be quiet and she just would look at me real quick and then back at the truck and bark. So genius. <laughs> she can't get in trouble genius if she doesn't ball. know she's being reprimanded. So I guess. And I, I don't like to, you know, like. I don't, I don't see you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> and I don't like to like really like walk really fast through the dog park because then you get a little treat on the bottom of your shoes. And <laughs> I was already in my work shoes, so I didn't want to have to change. When I got home, can she hear herself bark? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know if she can hear herself bark or not. But she has the cutest little deaf dog bark shit she does sometimes. It's adorable. (laughs) I love it. Sometimes I want her just to bark so that she does that. I know you don't like it. We're heading into Martha vomiting territory. We have to. I know. (laughs) So the book I read this week was one by Aaron Wright. And that's the reason who's our guest. He is hey, on today. Hey. The name of the books is called 13 Doors. And one of the things that really caught me very fast about this book was that you talk about adopting a dog that's kind of like a special needs dog. Just because yeah. if they put her like on a website, she would be considered special needs because she has anxiety. Yeah. And I just... I loved this dog and I love the fact that you worked so hard at trying to get her, her, is her name really Daisy? Yeah. yeah Daisy. Yeah. Her, hers was the only name that wasn't changed. But yeah. Oh, okay. And to get Daisy to interact with you. And yeah. then I loved the fact that after you had your daughter, that your daughter and Daisy like automatically bonded. That was yeah. just so great for me just because I'm such an animal person an animal lover, even cats. I love cats, too. I just don't have any cats. I don't have a cat either, but I love cats. (laughs) And also another thing. So this book, let me start by telling you about the book and not just what I love about it, is kind of about your struggle with like the schooling system with with your daughter having to go into school and being on the autistic uh, spectrum. 
Now, she is actually autistic, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Also, of course, like I said before, about the whole story about the dog and how there's all these different things about Daisy all the way through the book. I don't know. I was caught by the dog, and I loved the rest of the story just because I don't think people work enough to try to get disabled people, whether autistic or physically or mentally, the kind of services that they need for education to be able to just live their life like everybody else. I just really love that. And, you know, and I really like that um, your son was just completely okay with her very different ways of communicating. And, and I just, I know that from a personal standpoint, because my sister was in a wheelchair and it was just, it was just normal to us. Where everybody right. else, it was just really strange to have a sister that, you know, I had to hook up in a full body suit every morning so that she could walk. Where I was like, yeah, just another day. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, and plus, you know, I saw a lot of the struggles of how the schools weren't adapt to handle her, her needs and everything else. So, yeah. And it was a really good book. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was Thank very you. well yeah. written, and it just it kept me intrigued through the whole thing. Yeah. Now, I have a question. Is this the same book as Daisy Has Autism with a different uh, title? It's, or It's kind of like yeah. the, the extended version is what I would call it because there's more. There's yeah, more in more. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the director's cut, sort of. Right. Kind of like, you know, like the Lord of the Rings movies that you have. You have oh, the extended okay, so version. The, yeah, the extended versions are three hours each instead of an hour and a half right. each. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to no. put everything in, you know, you <laughs> translate it through fantasy and science fiction. <laughs> I love those books. I love those movies. <laughs> Me too. Uh, the, no, you're you're right. And thank you for picking up on what you did. It, you know, the, our world really isn't built, you know, for people who are different. Mm-hmm. So... I tried to show that in a couple different ways, right? One, through um, our experience with our dog, who, you know, really was, I mean, we are, we're dog people. My wife grew up with cats, but we're, we're pretty much dog people through and through. And it's, you know, they really do become part of your family. Um, and it really becomes a different way of telling the story of how you get help for somebody who, you know, like I said, this world isn't, isn't built for them. And the things that are put in place um, uh, for people that are able-bodied aren't there if you're disabled. So if you, I mean, really it's, it wasn't that long ago uh, that, that there were no rules requiring that buildings had wheelchair ramps, right? And mm-hmm. there were no rules requiring things like ATMs have braille on them. So that fight to make sure that, you know, uh, people, all people are in, included and able to access, it's not that long ago and it's an ongoing fight. And if, if your disability is, um, you know, not necessarily visible, um, which a lot of kids have invisible disabilities, whether it's like a learning disability or ADHD, um, certainly autism, it's the world's a, a, a tough place for them. Um, and it, you as a parent um, living that experience with them, you know, if, if you're having to help a physically disabled relative, nobody necessarily understands kind of um, the extra things that you have to do or the systems that you would have to fight or, you know, the, I put this in quotes, the inconveniences that you would have to go through in order to be able to get them to do the things that, you know, you and I, it's normal in our birthright to do. So 
Right. But yeah, our, my daughter and our dog were very much bonded and they were, you know, I've told other people before, they were kind of their own emotional support animals for each other. And it was, it was really a wonderful relationship to watch. Right. And I tried as best I could to capture that. Mm -hmm. I'm reading your book currently. I'm about probably halfway through. I think uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed both with with your dog and your daughter were, were just showing, especially that you see something when you're in the household, you guys see a whole different set of behaviors and ways of learning and ways of coping. And then sometimes you'll take like your dog to the dog park and people will just, and people won't understand. Or you'll take your child to school and they will test her and say, well, she acts totally different, so she doesn't need this, or this, or your dog doesn't need this. You did a really good job of showing that we have tests and we have all these ways of, uh, I guess, determining what people need and what a lot of people who are putting these things that our kids and our fellow human beings need in place, they're not really listening to the people they need to listen to. No, they they have their own tests that aren't foolproof, especially when you have a disability that no one can see. So no one can say, it's not like a math. It's not, okay, well, you have, I don't know, a foot that's this size <laughs> and it goes to the I mean, it has a weird angle, so this is the kind of service you should get. So this is the right. kind of shoe you need to wear. <laughs> exactly. It's this too, is something it's that too you need cutter. parents, you need households' opinions, and I don't feel like right now where we're at, that's happening yet. No. I mean, really think about a time where your opinion was changed or you looked at something differently for the first time. You know, what was it? that that caused that shift within you and usually it's a shift in perspective so i tried really hard to bounce back and forth between you know the dog's perspective and then our perspective with our daughter and hopefully for some people that will will create that shift where they start to think about things differently that you know maybe what the way we're doing this maybe the way we're approaching this really isn't the best and because it's not the best look at what ends up happening um you know, in the end for folks, it's, you know, and how, how then can we better support them? Now, Keith, you have, your son is autistic, right? My son and my two daughters, actually, they're all on the autism spectrum. Okay. I wasn't a hundred percent sure about your girls, but I knew your son well, was. Well, my girls are a new, are actually a, something that my family's getting used to. Girls are very different on the autism spectrum, which I also think is something we keep learning things. My son was so different in his autism and how he displayed it. Uh, that's one of the problems I'm having right now with our school system because um, the school system had a much easier time in the in his mannerisms saying, oh, he obviously needs help with special education. My girls are very good at hiding the issues that they have and they they are much better at mirroring what we consider neurotypical behaviors but it is so difficult for them that they they honestly need the help but i'm having a very hard time getting it because 
Because the school like just sees I said, a mirror. They look like they're fine. Their grades are okay, which I mean is mostly what the school cares about. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In my experience, again, it's one of those issues uh, that everyone is so different. There is no, well, if your kid's autistic, he will do this or she will do this. It's something that we constantly learn more about. I mean, I feel terrible when I think back 40, like 30 years, because I see kids that were shunned and bullied in my own school because they were super odd or had bizarre mannerisms. And I see them in my child. (laughs) Raise his hand, super odd. (laughs) And I think, oh my goodness, there was nothing then. This wasn't, Mm -hmm. there wasn't really. They didn't have it then, right. Yeah, if you were autistic 30 years ago, and Aaron talks about this in his book. I mean, I too, he, he mentions a time when he was in school and they used to have this small group of kids. They rode the small bus. Mm-hmm. They the only short came bus. out to, yeah. yeah, they they only came out in the cafeteria to eat and they were very, very severely on the spectrum. And we didn't realize that there were all sorts of other people who could benefit from help because they just weren't bad enough instead they ended up just acting out in school and they ended up being the or ended up being horrible students and not the bad being kids able in the to back of the class. be educated as they needed to be like me you know yeah, yeah. No, and it has, exactly it, yeah and it has long-term consequences i mean and one of the kind of esoteric arguments i get into is that you know this is a, i think it's actually um it's sexist really I mean, even like the CDC, hopefully when you get to the end of the book, I put some statistics in there just to kind of give it some sort of context. But, you know, the CDC will report that girls are less likely to be autistic than boys. That actually, there isn't really any scientific proof that that exists. Their statistics are all based off, not all, but majority based off of referrals for special education. And what we know about special education referrals is they tend to be behavioral based, right? So boys tend to be more rambunctious and tend to be the person that they're the kid in the classroom that the teacher is going to point to and say, I need help with that kid. Yeah, because it's disruptive. He yeah. He's disruptive and he just can't sit still. Whereas somebody like my daughter will sit there in the classroom and be completely quiet, you know, and will have this look about them of being compliant and maybe paying attention and, and seemingly attuned um but because her behavior isn't so you know demonstrative she's an out there kind of creating a ruckus or it's not physically manifesting itself she ends up being you know and she and other girls like her end up being neglected so i don't believe that the that there is this imbalance between the two sexes i actually think it's it's got to be fairly balanced i just think that we're not identifying girls and like i said there's long-term consequences to that whether it's you know, college, jobs, um, school to prison pipeline, you know, there's all sorts of, of bad outcomes because of that. Yeah. Uh, my, my daughter was diagnosed, my middle daughter was diagnosed at 14. And when she was diagnosed, my husband and I, I can remember very clearly the, the um, doctor <laughs> looked at us and was like, have you ever really heard anything about the autism spectrum and we looked at each other and we're like yeah we're really really familiar with that my son was diagnosed at three um 
and it just it never occurred to us because it was so very it manifested so very differently mm-hmm. like Aaron said they are when they're in public not so much at home but they sit very quietly um, they don't like to tip the boat they don't like to call attention to themselves so they don't act out uh, we learned it simply because we had a really major incident happened within the home and we learned that my daughter's thinking was very very rigid mm-hmm. and i it's upsetting because she's 14 now she uh if she had started if we had had any inkling when she was younger we could have this whole time been kind of helping her with that but uh, she sees in extremely black and white terms so she was hearing things at school from teachers who mean completely well i mean i'll give you a hysterical little story about my son for example a black and white thinking he went to school for health class and they were talking about herpes and the teacher said if you've ever had a cold sore you have herpes oh <laughs> and my son came home that day and said did you know i have herpes <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah and so I mean, and that was the same. My, my daughter was told something at school by a well-meaning teacher, and she took that and kind of. My kids will never do drugs and alcohol because their teachers told them it was bad. So if they, <laughs> I've told, we come on the chat sometimes and we have alcohol. This is not alcohol. I'm showing my class, but we'll drink alcohol while we're on Zoom chats. Martha and Vaudi and I and our friends. And if my kids, if I don't have it in like a a um like not a sippy cup. Through cup. Mm-hmm. my kids will be very upset because <laughs> alcohol is bad and you can't tell them any differently right. so unfortunately if somebody says something they just don't have the capability of understanding that there are shades of gray and it led to a huge i mean we were in family therapy for two years trying to figure out things that my kids did not understand because they don't they don't live in the same world we do they interpret our world differently Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating because I can't understand and I don't know how to be able to understand and yet other people think that they do and they know what's good for my kid I mean obviously they're all kind of on an individual basis but right you know, if I think back, and like I said, I did try and put this in the book too. Historically, when I was growing up, when we were growing up, you know, quote unquote, those kids weren't in our classrooms, right? Right. We didn't, we didn't interact with them. They weren't sharing lunch times. Recesses were at different times. Typically, they were in a trailer, portable classroom at the back of the campus, and it just there was no interaction. Um, Having lived this experience and watching my daughter go through it, I feel pretty strongly that one, it's it's good for everybody. It's certainly good for my daughter to have access to quote unquote the regular classroom so that she, um, you know, she has that right. She should be able to access it just like if somebody was in a wheelchair, they should have the right to get in the building. So, you know, we should build a ramp to get them in there. But the other part is the reverse of that. And I think I would have benefited so much as a kid. um, And it would have made me a better adult, I think. Certainly would have made me a better teenager 
Um, you know, if I was exposed to children who are different or disabled children when, you know, in my classroom, so that, you that were supported, you know, not unsupported, that were supported right. properly, um, and help you learn about people who are different. I mean, I think that's incredibly right. important. And we just we just don't do that. I mean, schools, whether or not you want to talk about special education or regular education, schools, we just don't. You know, we don't fund them well enough at baseline. We don't teach, teach we don't pay teachers and treat teachers um, the way we should in this country. So it's, you know, it's really kind of a broken, fragmented system. But I really wish that, you know, kind of seeing it now on both ends. One is, you know, a parent, and then two is kind of having grown up through that system. You know, I, being with people who are different helps teach us that being different is normal. Um, mm -hmm. And how can we help out and support you know, people in our community that might have a different time or a more difficult time navigating a world that isn't built for them. The system really should be designed for those to be an individual basis, right? Meet the kid where, where the kid has the most need. Um, instead of kind of, we have a, the system now is kind of just this blanket system. Right. Yeah, it right? really is. And one size doesn't fit all, but I don't mean to be a downer in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, <laughs> but I, th I guess we should probably move on to our next book. Oh, so yeah. let me uh, give you title and artist. Not that I couldn't sit and talk about this all day because yeah, no, it's right. you know, you. Yeah. close to my heart. Um, but that was uh, 13 Doors by Aaron Wright. Awesome. Aaron, did you bring a book? I did. Um, <laughs> I feel like I the teacher. Have... I don't have a physical book. You don't need. Me. You don't need <laughs> a physical okay. book. This is. I never do. This is the. This is theater of the mind, darling. <laughs> wow. I never um, have a physical book because I do audio so much. Yeah, so. so do I. So. Well, yes, I said like before. I, I I'm a. I had to kind of give up reading, um, mm -hmm. and so I do a lot of audio books now. But I listen to. Whitefish Don't Exist. I don't know if you've heard of that book. By I Lula. actually did start reading that. It was, did you? I, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I don't, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but it was. Who was the author on that? Do you remember? It's Lulu Miller. Okay. Um, and she, um, the nice part about the audiobook is that she narrates it. So you get to listen to the author reading her own book. But it's amazing. It, it was this wonderful blend, kind of what I try to do a little bit, but she did it so well, where she mixed memoir with biography and she kind of talks about her own childhood and kind of her strained odd relationship with her you know her parents or her father really uh, and siblings and then her kind of navigating this world where she's trying to make order out of chaos um, and that's her kind of the personal journey that that she's on and then she weaves in really what is the bulk of the book uh, is a biography about this man named David Starr Jordan who was kind of one of these science zoology type people around the time of Darwin, kind of late 1800s, early uh, 1900s. And he was, she kind of fixated on him, I think early on in her youth as like somebody that she looked up to or somebody that she thought she would want to um, kind of mirror that career path. Cause she's very, she's a science writer for NPR and she does, she actually does some podcast stuff too. It's science-based. And so she's telling the story of him. And as it evolves, you kind of wipe away the superficial view of him, which is, you know, kind of rosy. And you start to learn about all of these not nice or good parts of him. And it's this 
she then weaves that into her own narrative and how her own sense of the world starts to change and shift as she navigates her own personal relationships. Um, but it was, I don't want to give away the, the book to you, but it's, I thought it was incredibly well written. And if you get the chance to listen to it, she's, I just love the way her, I don't know if, I love the way her mind thinks. I don't know if her mind thinks the way she writes, but it's, it's just, it was, it blew me away. It was really refreshing. Sounds good. Um, yeah. But, um, it's, it, and it personally kind of hit for me a little bit cause it's a somewhat of a local story. David Starr Jordan is, um, or was the first president of Stanford university, which is about 30 minutes South from where, where I live. Um, and it's the way Stanford, the university was started was by um, the Stanford's, Leland and Jane Stanford, and his relationship with them and how that relationship really went south, but maybe they weren't such great people either. It, I don't know, I found it fascinating. So if you're, if you're into history, if you're into biography, and if you like a good memoir and somebody who can weave a really good yarn, this is, this is a good book. I mean, it's history and it's science. I'm, I'm all. <laughs> I was going to say we have a lot of people in our tribe that that checks all their boxes. It really yeah. does, yes. Mm -hmm. And it was on the list of one of the best books of the year. Yeah. Yep. Was it last year, 2020, or was it 2019? Was it 2019? I think. Yeah, it. I know it was on I one of the be lists wrong. because I did start to read it, but then stopped because. I ran out of time and I have to be in the mood. Me, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, a fiction goddess, you know, I have to be in the mood for something nonfiction. And I wasn't mm. at that point. So I stopped, but yeah, I think I'm the reverse. Like I need, um, I don't know why I'm gravity. I gravitate more towards nonfiction stuff. Um, and, but when I get like a good piece of fiction, I'm, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm hooked, but it's, yep. I find myself bouncing around like, no, oh, no, no. Yeah, no. I think we all do that to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the name of that again? Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. Perfect. Okay, Keith, shall shall we go to you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Keith. I read the fluffiest book on the face of the planet. <laughs> Bring down the nonfiction discussion. <laughs> I was going to say we probably should have gone. We should, probably should have broke that up a little bit, huh? No, that's, that's no, just kidding. Yeah. Fluff us out because I got a fluffer too. So. Oh, cool. I read a romance. Oh, yay. No. <laughs> so I read a romance called The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez. I really only review the books that I really, really liked. And I really enjoyed this one. She is, uh, she has her own company. She makes accessories and furniture for tiny dogs. <laughs> for tiny dogs? <laughs> yes. So she makes little shirts with cute sayings and like stairs so that they can get on the bed and like and all of the things that make my eyes roll so hard it hurts my brain. As so as soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh no, poor Martha!" It's a, it's a romance and about dogs. I'm yeah. I'm thinking we should get it for for her birthday next month. No, <laughs> it would be very perfect for her. Um, oh, and her so she has a tiny little pocket dog. So she carries it around in her does. purse. I said that just for Martha's benefit. Yes, thanks. Kristen and Josh have two, uh, each of their best friends are getting married. So they're kind of uh, pushed together because one's the going to be the best man and one's going to be the maid of honor. Josh actually hits Kristen's truck in traffic 
because Kristen stops very suddenly because her dog does something and she spills the coffee. So, <laughs> but he's actually in Josh's truck. So they form a friendship because they're trying to keep the secret that he uh, ran into his best friend's truck and it was brand new. Like it was two days mm. old. Oops. So they become friends and I should say they become friends with benefits. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Josh is a firefighter and an EMT and he very much likes Kristen. Kristen is not looking to get into any kind of serious relationship because Kristen has a lot of reproductive health issues. She has uh, fibroids and cysts that are, and she has constantly had them her whole life so badly that she is 23 and has scheduled a hysterectomy. Hmm. And so she knows she'll never be able to have children in the regular way. And as they're becoming friends, Josh kind of lets slip that he's part of a big family and he would like to have nine kids. So, right. So she does not ever tell Josh about the reason that she will never get involved in a relationship with somebody who wants kids. So the whole book is pretty much about him trying to get closer, her trying to get away. Um, One of the things I really liked about this book is it is, it does not pull any punches. It's really well-written about her fertility, uh, about her issues, about I know as I struggled with infertility, uh, I had lots of the same kind of problems when I was young. Um, and it's really a miracle that I was able to have three children. Uh, and I thought sh- this author really touches on all the different things that go through your mind. I mean, I'm discussing it like it's just kind of a fluffy book, but it really, she really suffers a lot in trying to deny herself happiness because she does not want to upset anyone else or deny anybody else their happiness. I wish I could remember the name of the dog because that would really make you crazy, Martha. Oh, stop. It has, oh, it's, oh, it's, okay. It's like Fifi? No, it's amazing. The dog's name is Stuntsman Mike. <laughs> oh, that's okay then. Yeah, as long as it's not like <laughs> Tiffany or Fifi. No. It makes me think of no, it's Sparkles. It makes me think of... One of the funny of... things about the book is this is the scariest, freakiest little dog. Like, it is truly a hideous, nasty little monster. It bites everybody. And, of course, one of the only people that it won't, like, attack is this nice, young firefighter guy. So <laughs> At least it's got right away, partial like, brain. We're destined to be together. But... <laughs> Yeah, he's hideous, and his name is Stuntsman Mike. That I dog can hear you, and he's going to come bite you. But it, it's a very—it's—it's the—it's the usual. It's a really sweet romance with two characters that just kind of aren't talking about the right kind of things to each other, and continually kind of try to push each other apart, like the flip sides of magnets. But it's a nice, fun little read, you know, in between when you're reading your memoirs and your nonfiction um and and that book is called the friend zone by abby jimenez awesome thank you i think i'm going for a mystery 
adaptation. <laughs> Not a because. dog romance? Nope. No dog romance for me. Come on. Nope. Actually, I really love a good mystery. It's like the ultimate palate cleanser. Always enjoyed the mysteries. I very rarely review them because they're kind of all the same. It's mm-hmm. like the, a very formulaic type way to write. Even though a lot of them are twisty, you still get the same basic pattern every time. And I was going... figure out this one? Uh, figure out the ending? Well, kind of, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it it was very predictable. That's always how I can tell if it's a really amazing mystery. Yeah. Well, the reason that I chose this to start with... Well, there were two reasons, actually. Number one, tourism. Because I like to go other places when I read. So the tourism angle and also the fact that it's an adaptation and I, I discovered it through, I subscribed to Amazon or not Amazon, um, AMC plus on, on Amazon because I want to watch another adaptation, which is Ah. the the watch, which is the Terry Pratchett adaptation. That's the reason I got it. And then I started going through and looking at some of these other ones and there's an adaptation of this murder mystery. So I was like, oh, I love this Norwegian murder mysteries. So it, the name of the television series, I think, is Visting with a W. But the name of the book that I read is The Caveman by Jorn. <laughs> I know. I just love these, these Norwegian <laughs> names. Jorn Lierhorst. I'm glad I had an easy name. <laughs> Jorn Lierhorst. Now... If you look at this right away, you're going to go, oh, stop. This is number four in the series. Well, as we know with a mystery, every case is a book. So you're really not going to be missing a whole lot. You can always go back and pick up the other ones later. It's no big deal. But this was the only one that the library had. And even in that, all of the reviews and Goodreads that I could find were in Norwegian. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I care, because I always read those last anyway. But the, one of the reasons that I liked it is it was a crossover between the Norwegian detectives and the FBI. So you have the body that's found, and, and in this case, it's found in a Christmas tree farm. And it's found in the winter. But it's dressed for the summer. So we know that the body's been there for four months. Then we find some clues on the body. We find a brochure that has a fingerprint on it. Well, the fingerprint is then traced back to a serial killer in the U.S. But there are some weird things. Like, for example, the brochure is in a plastic bag. Like, it's trying to be preserved and the guy the dead guy has a woman's hair in his fist so you have all these little clues and all these little things you're wondering about and and also another layer of the mystery is the daughter of the detective what's what's his name again vistic uh his daughter is a journalist and she comes back to the hometown to do a magazine article about this guy who lived two houses down from them and they found him dead after four months. He's a real old, lonely dude and he had died and they didn't find him for four months. 
So she, on a separate timeline sort of like thing, has come home to write this story about loneliness and about, but as you probably guessed by now, there ends up being a connection there. So it's really good. And I liked the connection between the FBI and the Norwegian police. And I liked all of the connections being made through these different areas of the investigation. Now, at the end of the day, it turned out to be fairly predictable. So as a standalone by itself, I wouldn't give it five stars, but it was very well, very well written and it was well written enough to get an adaptation. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, to talk about it because it, as murder mysteries go, it was really good. It was excellent, but I did kind of figure it out. So I didn't obviously give it five stars because it doesn't earn it. But I think it would be a good, um, a good series to get into if you could get a hold of them in English. Yeah. I, I was able to get an audible copy of The Caveman, which is what I started with. So if, you're, if you like murder mysteries, it's a great serial killer type audio. It was, it, it was very, uh, what do you call that? Very tense, you know, very suspenseful. And you had all the right, you know, elements, all the right, feelings. All the right elements <laughs> of, oh, my gosh, you know, the girl gets, you know, in the way and all of this fun stuff. The, the father daughter thing going on between the detective and 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 his daughter getting in the way of the investigation and whatnot. I've actually seen that a few times in in different detective novels over the years. So that part was not really a great surprise, but it really was a good story. It was very entertaining. And now that I've read it, I will be going back to watch the rest of the show. I actually stopped watching the show the minute I got hooked on it. Even before the first episode was over, I'm like, okay, that's it. I got to find out where this came from. I have to read it first so that I don't know everything that happens. So now that I finished, I can go back and watch the show. Awesome. Yeah. And that was called The Caveman by Jorn Lear Horst. Now, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, was that Norwegian? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it, it, it definitely was not as dark and uh, that book was violent dark. and sexual Oof. as The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was. That was extremely extremely this one probably a little bit more on the mainstream side definitely more i mean it i read so dang many of these things to be honest i don't remember if there was anything objectionable in this or not but i know i enjoyed it and i i know that anybody who likes these kinds of novels will will like it so how do you can i ask ask you a question sure so I think that's really cool the way you found the book. And sometimes that's the way I find stuff is I just kind of stumble into and want to take a a deeper dive into it. But I also kind of find myself lost for time sometimes like, okay, well, I know, you know, this week's going to be a long commute week and I need, I really want to listen to something in audio book, but I also find myself lost for time trying to find, you know, it almost becomes this cycle where you're, uh, you get lost. You're like, I don't know. I don't want to get the wrong book. And then I don't want to commit to something that's, you know, I might not like for right full week of listening. I just, so I don't know, I find myself kind of stalling out in mm-hmm. that respect. So I didn't know if you had any, I mean, do you have any tips or tricks on like how do Words you... Words of wisdom? 
yeah how do you how do you find stuff that you know you, you know is kind of going to be in your because i don't really you know i don't want to fall into the, the amazon trap of you know well, you know, since you bought this before. Right. And that's probably one of the reasons that we started doing this podcast um, right. was to to pass along the things. But it's hard because we do four different books a week and people tend to get overwhelmed with so many recommendations. So usually what I'll try to do is on our Friday night call, I kind of have those people whose books that I tend to like more than others. Yeah. And I kind of just keep my ears open. But the most way that I find the books that I want to read is I go to the lists. And then I'll go down the line and I'll go, okay, I haven't read that one. And I'll see if it's at the library. Because I can't afford to spend right. a lot of money on books. So I'll just go put a whole bunch of books on hold in my library queue on on audio and then I'll just read the first few, you know, if it, they allow you to put 10 books on hold. And this is really how I do it. I put 10 books on hold and then I just go down the line. And if, if I listen to the first few ch chapters and, they're, they, and they don't suck, I keep going. And that's really a good way to do it because it gives you, you know, if you have time to sit down and, and look just at an article, one single article that has book recommendations then it gives you the option of finding some things that you might never have ever decided to read before. Right. Yeah. There's so. sometimes I have luck with doing that. And then sometimes I start reading these books that are on this list and I'm like, why the hell did it make it to the top 10? <laughs> I'm like, and that Whoa. does, yeah. And that does happen too. But if you ever feel yourself free on a Friday night, come join our, our, our call because what we do on there is that each person just talks about what they read that week. We do it just like this podcast, except for you have a much larger cast of characters that come. And Martha knows that she won't, like, when I start talking about my books, Martha's like, yeah, I'm not reading any of those. That's but not always true. Like it's not always true for <laughs> so you, Keith. So she's like, true. I'm going to go get some more wine. Go no, ahead, Keith. No, your no, I don't have to do that with Keith because Keith is, <laughs> Keith is, a reader of a lot of books so she doesn't That's just stay true. in her own corner which is nice because you get all kinds of different things but are there any romance books that involve cats oh my goodness yes <laughs> but they're called they're generally called cozy no i i know cozy no. romances i i don't mm -hmm. read romance novels no no and they often cozy mysteries generally have romance and cats yeah. and then there's some weird there's always like some old person that died of some weird, mysterious circumstances. And they always have really cutesy, punsy titles that I enjoy. Like if it takes place in a bakery, then there'll be all these bakery puns and there'll be 18. And all I movie. have to do is read the title and go, I'm not reading that. Nope. <laughs> I look at it and say, <laughs> but what for me, like, the, go ahead. It's not about World War II. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, this week I spent, um, I read two articles this week about science fiction novels that are because I have I just am in the mood for for science fiction so right. basically I just went best best science fiction of 2020 and best sense science fiction of 2021 and just went through and filled up my thing well yeah. I have also found I, I love that Goodreads exist now because generally if I like something an author has written 
I will also like the books that the author recommends or has read themselves and given good reviews. That's a good idea. And I, I have found lots that. of books that way. Um, huh. So like if I have like three favorite authors and I see, and I'll follow them. And if I see that they have reviewed something and given it five stars, I'm like, oh, I want to try that out. See, I totally, I didn't even realize that you could do that. So I learned something totally new oh, today. Yeah. I wonder what Ken Follick reads. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie's got a thing for Ken Follett. He's like three times her age, but. Well, just his writing. I like his yeah, writing. Yeah. And now so does a lot of more people. I know, I know. That I've recommended. Right. I know. I think I may have froze. I was going <laughs> to yeah, say, you quit moving. You, though. I thought maybe <laughs> we were just talking about something super boring. We're just... I look really disinterested. <laughs> you do. I'm like, call Aaron. The screen always freezes on you making the weirdest, weirdest face. I know, like, right? It's never like when you look like a movie star right, so or a model. <laughs> oh, I'm dancing now. <laughs> Don't do anything too weird. I was going to say, wait, wait. you'll come back. Yes. <laughs> it'll it'll, idea, it'll come up and we'll see Aaron mooning the camera. Right. <laughs> it's like, stop! Put your pants back on! <laughs> Just kidding. Right. That'd be about the time my wife comes down. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? But you're not listening to that podcast anymore! thought you said this was about books. <laughs> I love the idea of, and I've, I do this and I've gotten out of the habit. Maybe I'll get back into it, but I, I do. I have my library app right on my phone. Yeah, me too. And those books would be, you know, I, you scroll through them and it's like, you're number, you know, 10 on the wait list. And you're like, yep. oh, great. Yep. But then it's like this total random present, right? When it, it shows is. up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I, I would say probably 90% of the time, the books I put on hold, by the time I get them, I have completely forgotten why I put them on there and right. what they're about. When you get 20 at one time and then you go like for weeks and you don't get yep. any, yep. they all come at the same time and you have to like go back in the queue. Yep. That's always my problem. Yep. Yeah, but I do that. But the great thing is, is that at least you're not spending money you don't have to read, which has right. always been my problem. Mm-hmm. So the library has saved my life in that it gives me plenty of reading material. I don't stop buying books. Right. I I make a very deliberate point to purchase books that I liked after having read them so that I can share them with other people, so I can recommend them, so I can support the authors. And by share, she means hold them up so you can look at them because you will never touch them. (laughs) Well, only, only with certain ones. I, there are still books to this day that my wife has lent, right, uh-huh. to other people. And I'm like, it's been years. You have to give up on that. You're pipe. never giving oh, that back. Is that one coming back? Yeah. Never yeah. getting it back. Yeah. Well, and subscription services now like Scribed or I, I myself have Kindle Unlimited, which is how I got Aaron's book so quickly, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love those services too, because I can get a bunch, I can read it. I mean, and if I'm like, Ugh, you know, nothing off my back, like, right, I mean, yeah, yeah, because I pay per month. So I, I could read and do read 40 books a month. And then she I'm does. Like, Look at me, busting the system. But, um, and in the same way Martha said, then when I find a book that I really like, then I know that to purchase it rather right. than purchasing some book, even 
for if it's only like a dollar it's sitting on my shelf then yeah. forever and I'm like yeah I get really cross when I go out and I spend money on a book that I hate right mm. I mean I'm I'm like the most backwards reader ever where I want to make sure I like it before I buy it right I don't think that's backwards well I usually that's buy more than one copy and donate one to the library or donate one you know to a friend or uh well whatever but yeah I think that it's important to make sure that you that you branch out a little if you can and if you have a library that you can use it doesn't do any harm to try right. a, a bunch of random stuff right cuz you, you might right. find something on there that you had no idea you're going to love yeah mm-hmm. no i then some of the the random stuff i'll do is like oh i was supposed to read that in high school <laughs> yes <laughs> i do a lot of that yes i do a lot exactly of that. and that's Maybe what the lists now. that's what the lists will do for you a lot of times i'll see those on facebook It'll go the best, you know, the best 200 books of the century or something. I'll look at those. and I'll go. Yeah, I think I was supposed to read that in high school and I never did. I was lied about having read it. Right. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you check the book out. You read the first chapter, the middle chapter, the last chapter, yep. and then you write a report. Yep. I made some money right. doing that in school. Bonnie's now there's, now there's Wikipedia. That, that, that's right. exactly right. Mm-hmm. If you want to know all the high points, you just go look at Wikipedia. Well, back when right. I was in school, <laughs> there was no Wikipedia, so. Oh, we had the cruddy <laughs> little yellow cliff note. That. That's exactly right. You had to do yeah. it the hard way. All I wish those were the worst problems I had in high school. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> and you know, those teachers would never give us the books we really wanted to read in high school. Like, B.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic, or... Oh, you know? I read that while oh. I was in high school. Well, so did I. And those were, were like, hey, why can't you give us these these smutty, crappy books that we want to read for, they, for assignments? Dang it. Because, they actually, because that book has no redeeming value. I mean, what about Harold Robbins? How come we couldn't read him? <laughs> The, the, speaking of weird smutty a bunch books. of high school boys reading that i have told Oof. you that my school at 16 they read the kite runner and that in and of, of itself is an issue i love that my kids read it because my kids read it responsibly but i hear all the snickers and the oh, uh, yeah yeah because some boys are just dorks that way at some girls for that matter you well you know a the bunch of boys reading flowers in the attic Ooh, no man. i was miserable rolling Think your eyes of the most times. random thing you can right now aaron and we'll we'll run with it we'll run with it we'll write a book about that spaghetti book spaghetti, spaghetti plus what i mean spaghetti has everything you you've got meatballs spaghetti. maybe one spaghetti smutty book Oh, sometimes you have to get a little oh, messy. Oh, oh, wait. I know. Oh. I know. I, I got it. So mm. this girl is, well, she's. It has to be a girl. Well, okay. Yeah, if it's spaghetti, it. it has to be a guy because it has balls and a noodle. I'm getting there. She's super, <laughs> super excited by pasta. So in order to get there, she has to have all of the, all of the, uh, the pasta ingredients <laughs> spread all over his body or her body or whatever so it's like a a very messy sexual book what do you think of that 
Oh, so in the belly Perfect. button, we have the flour and then we make the little egg mixture. No, no, you get the the pasta and dump it on top of her. And no, the she's sauce buying the store bought. She's and not put that a, put fancy. a bit oh. a little bit of a meatball in the belly button. You know that kind of thing. What do you think of that? Aaron? I thought that's where the cheese went. I'm sure it would be a bestseller. So there we go. We're gonna we're writing it. Hey, Aaron, you're a writer. Can you can you hook us up with a publisher? <laughs> oh, <sure. laughs> yes. And on that note, that's going to do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.